0: josh Friedman. well this is the last episode of 2020 for the life as leadership podcast and many of you may be hearing this in 2021 either way i hope you'll take the message of this podcast to heart because today we're talking about communities specifically brand communities but one of the things that our guest talks about is that this is the loneliest era in human history And as you're going into 2021, one thing you should think about is how can you be the type of person that builds community? Yes, for your business, but also for your own life. There are a lot of people going into 2021 that didn't have the type of community they needed in 2020. And you have the opportunity to create that community in this upcoming year. I hope you will see that as a great opportunity, both for you and your business in 2021. We're going to get to a little bit more about our guest in just a second, but first, it's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is an award-winning author, speaker, and executive advisor. For the past decade, his work has focused on advising leadership within global organizations, including Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Airbnb, and Twitch. He's a regular guest lecturer at Yale School of Management and a founding member of the Google Vitality Lab, a collaborative partnership focused on the world's most pressing health and well-being challenges. He's the author of the international bestseller, The Art of Community, and co-author of the new book, Building Brand Communities, How Organizations Succeed by Creating Belonging. Here is Charles Vogel. Charles, welcome to the podcast. I'm so delighted to be here, Joshua. So, I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So, you ready for these? I'm ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: When I was a young man, I served in the US Peace Corps in northern Zambia on the Zaire border. And at the time there was the AIDS epidemic raging through Southern Africa. And I went, I lived in a small village in a very, very remote part of Zambia. And I remember, um, I wanted to make a big difference going to Africa, serving the Peace Corps and moving to my village. But obviously I didn't know the culture. I didn't know how to live in that terrain. I literally didn't know how to feed myself, uh, living in a village. And I remember, I was struck with just how much the villagers in my village called Lupasoshi supported one another. They literally lived next to each other, and there was a lot of media distraction, of course, and just really moved just about the communal way that they all uh, got their life. And I desperately wanted to make a difference with my time committed, and I thought I was smart, I was hardworking. And uh, in the midst of that experience, my best friend, who is my partner in the village, Mr. Puta, was kidnapped by the local authorities and then beaten for several days in captivity and then released when um, I sent money that was used as a bribe. And then he walked over hundred kilometers back to our village after that experience. And that is what taught me that I was also living in a place that was really dangerous for my friends and the villagers I was living in. And so I started struggling to bring some justice to the human rights abuses going on. And I'll tell you, when I left uh, Zambia and the Peace Corps, I really felt burned out and cynical because I thought I had made a difference at all. Turns out I was wrong, but the experience that I had, I thought I had made a difference. And I was um, really wondering how I'd make a difference anywhere at all. And that really led to a journey where I had to learn that what I was failing at was approaching the world, trying to make a difference by being smart and working hard, in contrast to bringing people together around shared values and purpose and working together. And the next several years of my life, I worked as an independent filmmaker uh, for PBS projects that have touched on issues of genocide education and education. And we had some international success because I stopped trying to have a Superman strategy, but looked how I could be bringing people together. And um, here
0: we are talking now. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is?
1: Well, I think there's many ways to think about leadership. And it'd be really silly for someone to have definitive definition or qualities for the purpose of the work that i do i think patience is really important um the kind of work that i take on people that i associate with take on are problems that largely are not going to be handled in our lifetime homelessness wealth disparity um, lack of medical care injustice Uh, i don't think that at the end of my lifetime any of this is going to be handled Uh, and it's really important to work on So said differently, there needs to be some patience. We can work on this and understand that we're not going to see this resolved anytime soon. And along with that, humility. If I know that these issues aren't going to be handled in my lifetime or the lifetime people I'm working with, then we can have humility in the face of the challenges. We are not going to dominate the problem. We're not going to find out a hack that's going to solve it. We are just going to move the ball or the needle as far as we're going to move it in the time that we have. And then lastly, committed. If the things we want to do are easy, they'd be done already. Uh, We need leaders to step up and take on things that are hard. And because they're hard, it takes commitment. And we can't just bounce off as soon as the challenges make us cry or they're inconvenient or they hurt. And so I hope that everybody I work with has some level of patience, humility, and commitment so that we can make a difference in the time that we have.
0: What's a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: My, well, I hope there are many, many questions in my own life and the questions around the people I work with I want to ask is, do we really understand what's going on here? I think as we mature, we all notice that what we thought was going on relationally, economically, uh, spiritual growth, politically, what we thought was going on was not what we understand is going on now. And we call that discernment. When we can notice that things are not as they seem. So we have to be constantly in a conversation of do we understand what's going on here so that we don't make a quick fix that really doesn't fix anything at all.
0: What's a book that you would recommend to leaders?
1: There are many books I recommend. Um, obviously, my work is about helping people in leadership roles connect people around shared values and purpose to make a difference. And so the book, the first book I wrote, The Art of Community was to fill a conversation I saw wasn't being made. And so if that's a part of leadership where someone wants to grow, I hope that my book can serve them because it's the book I wish I had had years and years earlier. Um, One of the books that I noticed has really helped me is um, a book called Trusted Advisor by Pfeiffer. And uh, he discusses how those of us who are doing challenging things need to have people around us who will tell us the truth when we need to hear it. And for people to trust us, we need to be the kind of people that tell the truth, even if others may not want to hear it, and how we can share it in a way where they might be able to take hard truths from us. And certainly in all of my work, there's always times where it's not clear where what choices need to be made, and sometimes hard truths need to be discussed, and that book has helped me have those conversations.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be?
1: Well, I want to avoid hubris by even giving the impression that I know what people should be doing in their lives without context. I just want to acknowledge that we have different skills and different challenges and different histories and different aspirations. And I know that I don't know what you, Joshua, or 10 people I haven't met should do. One thing that I think commonly helps people who are taking on challenges that are going to take a long time to address and we're going to take a lot of commitment is to make sure that you're not doing it alone. If maybe you have to do it alone technically, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone emotionally or spiritually or relationally. So one of the things that I do is I make sure that I have a standing phone call with uh, people who I respect every week. And we talk for no less than one hour. And that means as I go through a year, or now years, there are people in my life who know what I'm doing, uh, what I've been facing, where I want to grow, what steps I'm taking, and what's blocking me And I know that they know where I'm emotionally and they're going to offer advice if I ask for it. And they're also going to let me know that they, um, I want to say provide moral support. They'll tell me whether they think what I'm doing is important, even when it gets so difficult that
0: I want to back away. And finally, we have our arbitrary, but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not?
1: I don't really have a context for that question. I think both of those questions are about trying to understand how we make choices in the context that we have. And often we don't have enough information to know what we're putting at risk, who we're putting at risk, how much we're putting at risk. And I think that when you ask the question, why not, and you don't know, like you don't know who's in a really really precarious place. You don't know who could get retribution um, if you make an experiment. You don't know how you could lose your access. By making a problem. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but there's a lot of questions. And so, my knee jerk just know it, on the very little you've presented as context is it's important to know why we're committing to what we're committing to so then we can then choose well, what are the costs socially, politically, financially we're willing to take uh, given that commitment?
0: Well, Charles, we're here today to talk about your new book, Building Brand Communities, How Organizations Succeed by Creating Belonging. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what led you to write this book and maybe the connections between that and your earlier book, The Art of Community.
1: So The Art of Community was a book that I wrote because I learned that there are many people in leadership roles, both formally and informally, desperately wanted to bring together some group of people around shared values and purpose, often to make a difference somewhere. And they really were making stuff up as they went, which really meant they were using up a lot of energy, they were using a lot of time, and, and often getting no results, and often sabotaging themselves, because they just don't understand what principles really would help them connect people. There's no one way to bring people together and have them feel connected and supportive. Uh, for my purpose of my work, I define community as a group of people who share mutual concern for one another. And that can be a group of employees, it can be a group of friends, it can be your family, it can be a philanthropic group that's out to take on a real challenge in your community. And typically, uh, somebody has to invest something for people to come together and build those networked relationships that have mutual concern, that support one another. And it turns out that that book was really needed in even some very large, globally influential organizations that wanted to bring together uh, partners, customers, and or employees. We wrote the Building Brand Communities book, and I did that with my co-author, Carrie Melissa Jones, because as we were both going around the country talking to people who wanted to get better at this, what we learned is there were people in organizations that wanted to bring people together, that could be employees, and they wanted to make meaningful investments, staff time, platforms, events. And they needed to make sure that those investments just weren't fun for the members connecting and liking one another, supporting one another. But that investment also had to, at some meaningful level, support the organization. And I don't mean in some extractive way, meaning they're hoodwinking the members who are joining, but that the organization needs to benefit. One of my favorite examples is Airbnb. All of Airbnb's inventory is provided by other people, their hosts. And Airbnb wants those hosts to know each other and support each other and even help Airbnb understand the market so that they can be better at serving those hosts. And they have two teams that go around the world in every time zone and create events to help those hosts get to know each other, support one another, and become connected with Airbnb. But at the end of the day, after all that staff time and all that travel and all those events, Airbnb as a brand needs to have a benefit. And there's ways to do that, but they needed really clear-cut ways to make sure they were doing something that just wasn't burning up capital and then they'd have to defend it later and look stupid. And so we wanted to create a book that helped people and organizations understand what are the principles that allow you to invest to bring together people you want to bring together that will honestly serve them. Otherwise, why would they want to come together? And can serve the organization. And so in the book, we articulate seven ways we very often see that bringing certain groups of people together will support an organization. In the case of Airbnb, uh, there are a couple of benefits. One of them is by having direct access to some of the most important hosts amongst over a million hosts, they know what they need and they can innovate for that market very, very quickly because they're in conversation with people who they have relationships. Another one is uh, they can retain the people who are important for their success. Those hosts could offer those, that inventory on any platform any platform that'll say that it's available and take money. But Airbnb wants the best host to stay with them. And by making sure that those hosts are connected to one another and connected with Airbnb, they retain the people critical for their success much better. We could go on about other ways that organizations succeed when they invest in this way, Uh, but those are at least two ways that that global brand succeeds. And now they have a manual of source to help inform what are the investments that are going to help them get there.
0: I think it would be valuable to go through some of those ways in just a moment. One thing that I want to do beforehand is to maybe expand some people's thinking on what a brand is. When we think of brands, oftentimes we think of popular ones. We mentioned uh, a few in your bio. We mentioned, of course, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Airbnb, Twitch, uh, Coca-Cola, international brands like that. What are some ways that people can think of brands they may not immediately think of brands in order to help them? apply this type of thinking in their own lives
1: so for the purposes of my work we define a brand as any organization that promises value and it's identifiable so that can be a faith group a church or a temple or a sangha may have a brand and they don't need to be making profit for that they may not even marketing per se but it's identifiable and their organization is promising value to some people And in the case of, for example, spiritual organizations, uh, obviously there's a benefit if they're better at connecting the people who are involved in their ministries, such that there are mutual relationships of concern. Uh, It can be a political brand. Right now, presidential candidates have a brand, and they have organizations, and they're clearly trying to offer some kind of value. And obviously those organizations are going to benefit if the people, in this case, volunteering for them, are more connected to keep returning for long-term commitment. So any organization promising value. And in this work, any organization promising value, that it recognizes there's a group of people inside, outside, or maybe just in the field that the organization would benefit if that group was more connected.
0: And do you see brands creating communities and then getting frustrated for that very reason that the community does not really connect with the brand or seem to benefit the brand in any way?
1: Well, we see... uh, Organizations creating what we call mirage communities all the time, and we call a mirage community something that people say is a community or might look like a community from the outside, but if someone who gets close to it or can recognize what constitutes a community recognizes it's not. And very often, brands who want to brag they have large communities when really all they have is an email list. For example, um, if you Joshua started hosting pizza parties, which meant you gave out pizzas at a park, you might get a lot of people to come. You might even collect their data information. But if nobody's investing in those attendees, those members connecting, then really you just have a list of people who take free pizza. And you can often boost your numbers by giving out better pizza or more pizza or handing out gift cards you know, when they show up. You'll have really good numbers of people showing up. It doesn't mean they're actually creating a community. And if you tell me of a community or show me a list of that community or just take a picture of people eating pizza in a park, uh, that's a Mirage community. You know, they may not even know each other's names. And they won't know each other's names if there's no way for them to have an introduction, if you don't have name tags, if someone hasn't found a way to help inspire them to start having deeper conversations.
0: What are some examples of companies that do a really good job of developing those genuine relationships in the context of a brand community versus having the superficial relationship?
1: Yeah, there's so many good examples. Well, I'll mention some brands that we interviewed for the book and that we included. So I've already mentioned Airbnb that has two teams that fly around the world to connect people critical for their success. Obviously, Airbnb is having problems because we're in a global pandemic and their business is deeply affected by that. Nonetheless, that commitment was genuine and the results they were getting were meaningful, uh, literally around the world. Another brand we talk about is Twitch. Twitch is over 200 million unique users each month log on to watch videos. They support at least 40 city groups. There's a staff that what they do is make sure the leaders of those 40 groups are supported to connect Twitch members uh, around the world. And then they host no less than twi- two Twitch cons, which are very large events in- involving thousands of people in huge convention spaces to make sure that Twitch uh, members have a way to come together and meet each other and um, connect with their smaller segments. And then lastly, we talk in the book about Harley Davidson, a brand that almost went bankrupt. And then they started inviting uh, Harley Davidson writers to ride together, and they subsequently created the Harley Owners Group, or HOG, of which there are now over a million members. And there are many, many chapters, and no surprise, Harley members love coming together, riding together, learning about motorcycling, learning about how to do adventures together on those motorcycles. And uh, my understanding of CEO of Harley-Davidson credits that investment of bringing together their fans as one of the most important factors of bringing Harley-Davidson back from the brink of extinction.
0: So Charles, if you would, could you run through those seven areas where communities can serve organizational goals as well? And listeners, while Charles is doing this, I encourage you to think about how these relate to your particular organization and your particular community.
1: The seven areas that we articulate that we see very commonly organizations benefit when they do a good job connecting some group of people important for their brand are listed here. So the first one is innovation. If you have access to people important in your field and you know what they need and you know what they're unsatisfied with, your team can innovate to serve that much more quickly than if you're just guessing. One of our favorite examples of that is Salesforce. Uh, They cannot listen to all of their customers. There's just too many of them. And early in the company's history, the tickets were just coming too fast and too furious. So they now cultivate a very small group of MVPs, they call them, And they're in deep conversation and deeply invested in that relationship. And those relationships have helped Salesforce innovate faster than the competitors and remain a market leader. The second area is talent recruitment and retention. It's not rocket science. If the people you need for success want to stay around because they have friends there and they feel connected, they stick around. And we already mentioned Airbnb. If those hosts want to go anywhere else, Airbnb is going to lose inventory. But they don't because they feel connected. Number third, customer retention. If the people who are buying from you trust that they have a relationship with the brand, that the brand listens to them and they can influence going on, they'll keep coming back even when you make mistakes. And we see that with Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson has made choices that not all customers have liked, but we've heard in interviews how the customers will give the brand the benefit of the doubt because they trust the brand is actually trying to serve the needs of the customers. Marketing, an obvious example. If you have access to a community of people who are enthusiastic, you can inform them of new value you're offering in a much easier way. Some brands, like Apple, for example, find benefits in customer service. Um, Right now, Joshua, you and I, 24 hours a day, can find somebody in the world that will help us with an Apple product when we have a problem. And we'll find forums where untold millions of lines of help have already been written, many of them by volunteers who are part of an Apple user's community. That means Apple doesn't have to expand their customer service uh, one-to-one with the expansion of their company because their community of users are doing it. Number six is advancing movements. There are brands that want to change the world. It can be political, it can be social, it can even be a way of doing business. We talked with people from Patagonia, and Patagonia wanted rock climbers to climb in a way that protected the rock more than they were in the mid-20th century. And if you have access to a community of people connected to your brand, you can help shift that fundamental culture in the world differently. As Patagonia shifted the rock climbing uh, business away from pitons to what they call uh, nuts. And when we're talking about political organizations, uh, they're often taking on challenges that take years and years to move. And if we can bring people together volunteers in a community, then they have strength to work together over the years as opposed to a one-time volunteer or a one-week volunteer experience. And lastly, we see brands where the brand itself is a community forum. Uh, For example, Reddit or many summer camps or conferences. The brand itself needs to be good at bringing people together. And if it can't do that well, well, the brand's not going to survive. So understanding what principles make that happen is critically important.
0: So one of the things I think would be really helpful for people right now who are listening is to have an idea from you what the best way to create a brand community or to at least think about creating a brand community is. Because as you've talked about earlier in this interview, context does matter. But are there some guidelines or general things people can be thinking about if they want to make sure that they're creating a strong brand community for their own organization or business?
1: Well, forks are unfortunately, Joshua, there's a lot to think about, and that's why I've written several books on the subject for this. And I, and I mentioned that so that we don't just uh, give your listeners some trite fluff and they think that we're misleading them, right? Um, I use the analogy, if you came to me, Josh, and you haven't and said, Charles, how do I make my romantic relationship better? Or how do I make my family relationships better? Uh, there are probably answers to that. But the last thing you need is some trite, superficial answer that we give to everybody because I don't know your relationship and I don't know your family. So without that context, when we talk about how do we bring people together who are critical for your, the success of your organization or your leadership, uh, the first things we need to make get clear on is who are the people that you want to bring together and why do they want to come together? And along with that, it's connected, how do they want to grow and to be something new or better? Uh, many people who have wrong-headed understandings about brand communities think, well, I want to bring people together so I can get something from them: their money, their time, their insights that I want to use. And you can often get those things from communities, but nobody wants to join a community and commit time to that gathering around somebody who just wants to extract from them. I mean, goodness knows, Josh, you'd run away from that person. So if we want to be successful, we need to think: who do we want to bring together and how do we want to serve them? You know, I've already mentioned Airbnb, so I can return to that. Um, they're not bringing hosts together to extract from them. Obviously, Airbnb's business model depends on those hosts succeeding. But when those hosts come together, and I've been to an event hosted by Airbnb for those hosts, they bring those hosts together so they can be better hosts, so that they can attract more customers, so that they can have an easier time delivering the, the, the inventory. And this is a dynamic marketplace where um, what people expect is changing, who's showing up is changing, um, how they're using the, the resources is changing, and they want those hosts to be successful with that. So they approach that not saying, what do we get from this, but how do we make them successful? And then all the benefits to the brand came out of that.
0: What would you like to leave the listeners with from today's interview? Is there anything you'd like to leave with them as a final word, whether something that you would like to reiterate from our conversation today or something that we haven't had a chance to bring up yet, but you think is really important?
1: Well, for those who are still listening to us talking about bringing people together now, there's obviously an understanding this is an important subject. And there's also an understanding that the world is better if we get more connected. And goodness knows we're not as connected as we could be. Um, Everybody listening to us right now, Josh, including you and me, are living the loneliest era of American history, according to the research. And all of us didn't ask to be born and to grow up in the loneliest era of American history. And I think many of the problems we're seeing in our culture right now are a function of Americans are lonely and we're disconnected and are desperate to be connected and feel safe in the ways that you feel safe when you are connected and there are people who support you. So, whether it supports your brand or not, and it obviously can, that's why I wrote the whole book on it. To consider that there are people around you who are desperate to be more connected, and they're desperate for someone to reach out an invitation to start sharing a relationship. And I've written several hundred pages on how we can do this better. It always comes down to one thing Are you making invitations? Are you inviting people who you want to be connected to, who may want to be connected to you, to spend time with you? And if you want to be more connected, you can pick up a phone and you can just call people you want to know better and just invite them to do anything. In a time of COVID that can mean share a conversation or maybe uh, share a socially distanced meal outside, but you can do that. And then when we get past this pandemic and we're in an era where we can gather again in groups to make sure that you're extending invitations for people to spend time with you and see what comes out of that. Cause we're in a time where we're desperate for more connection and it's critical for our, our country's health.
0: Charles, where can people go if they have connected with what you shared today? Where can they go to learn more about you and the work that you do?
1: Sure. Well, I have a website. It's charlesvogel.com. dot com. And if you want to get the books, they're everywhere books are sold. Um, you can just Google my name and uh, they're at the famous place people buy books. And um, uh, I can be contacted by my website. And my team is developing products so that there'll be some online resources. And there are worksheets there that are free for download to help Anybody who's interested, connect the people of our time in more connected ways.
0: Perfect. Charles, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Delighted to be here.
0: Once again, if you'd like to connect with Charles, go to his website at charlesvogel.com or you can go to his other website for the book, buildingbrandcommunities.com. Both of these you can find in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. It's vital to know three things when you're building a brand community. First of all, who you want to bring together. Second of all, why they want to come together. And third, how they want to grow into something new or better the second key takeaway is this despite brand communities needing to serve the business they must also serve individuals no one wants to join a community that just wants to extract from them no one wants to be a part of a community where it feels like a chore to be involved this means that you're going to want to once again know who you want to bring together why they want to come together and then how they're going to grow into something new or better And the final key takeaway is what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is we're living in the loneliest era in human history. That's something that Charles mentioned, and people are desperate to be more connected. So invite people into your community. You know, I don't talk about this very often, but the subtitle of the Life as Leadership podcast is Where Leaders Gather to Grow Together. And one thing I would encourage you to do if you would like to grow as a leader this year is to download the leadership action list. And I say this at the end of every show, but one thing I want to mention is that starting in the first week of January, I'm going to be sending out weekly reminders for one specific leadership action from the leadership action list for everyone who's downloaded the leadership action list. So if this is something that you're interested in getting as far as a tip to help you grow as a leader this is a great way not only to grow with others who are part of this community but to invite other leaders around you so that you can begin to grow your own leadership community and encourage others to take action to ensure that they are becoming a better leader so once again if you'd like to download the leadership action list go to leadershipactionlist.com and you'll begin receiving an email at the beginning of every single week to remind you about a specific action you can take to improve as a leader I look forward to growing with you in 2021. And until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for.